Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. If you think that Christians ought not be involved in politics, that we ought to just preach the gospel, then you actually don't really believe the gospel is all that important. Why? Because politics affects our ability to preach and live the gospel. And if you don't think so, go to some of the countries I've been to. I've been to Iran. I've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to China. You can't do what we're doing on this broadcast right now in those countries legally. You can't gather legally in those countries. Why? Because politically they've ruled it out. And if you don't think politics are important, you must not think the safety and prosperity of your family and fellow citizens are all that important. You don't think war and peace matter much. You don't think freedom of speech and freedom of religion are worth defending. You don't think life should be protected or the health and welfare of children matter much. Why? Because all of those issues are affected by politics. And if you don't get involved politically in some capacity, then you're not really caring about those issues or those people because politics is important because it affects decisions and laws passed by politicians and they affect almost every issue that's critical to life and death here on planet Earth, including the gospel itself. Now, the question is, how do you get informed as to what's going on in our crazy political discourse right now? I mean, I can't keep up with it all, friends. I not only can't keep up with it all, I forget what happened politically last week and last month and last year. I need someone to document it all for me in one place so I can make informed decisions at the ballot box in the coming year because we're coming up on another election year, friends. What are we going to do? So I have someone on the show today that has done that and he's documented it for us. My guest today has brilliantly, I might add, and thoroughly documented what's going on politically in our country, especially on these issues that are important to Christians. So you're going to be able to decide who will be the least worst choice in the next election. And that's what politics often is. Since we don't have Jesus on the ballot, we're never going to have a perfect candidate. And quite often, we got to choose the least worst choice. And my mentor, Dr. Norman Geiser, said this many years before the 2016 election. Here's what he said. He said, elections are normally the choice between a known witch and a suspected devil. Now, how did Dr. Geisler know? He was a prophet uh, because he predicted the, the 2016 election. Now, I got to be clear as we get into this. I personally am not going to tell you who to vote for. I don't endorse candidates on this show, but I will have people on who will inform you on the issues, and that's what my guest is on today to do. He rocketed to stardom in twenty in, in 2004 when he wrote the foreword to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Actually, he was an accomplished attorney. He was an author before that. He's written several New York Times best-selling political books. He wrote those from the late 90s to about 2012. Then he wrote four New York Times 
Times bestseller Christian apologetics and theology books from 2014 to 2018. Jesus on Trial, The Emmaus Code, The True Jesus, Jesus is Risen. Those four books are all New York Times bestsellers, and now he's back writing about politics with an amazingly well-written research book that will open your eyes to what's happening in one of the two main political parties in our country and how it's an ominous sign, not just for Christians, ladies and gentlemen, but for the entire country. So you guessed it. My guest is my friend, the great David Limbaugh, who's written 10 straight New York Times bestselling books, including this one. David, how are you, my friend? Great, Frank. Thank you for having me on. Isn't it great? I have no clue about anything pertaining to politics or religion, and yet I've written bestsellers on it. Isn't America great? Isn't this a great country? No, you know you know both of those subjects very well, and we always hear you don't talk about politics or religion, when in fact, ladies and gentlemen, those are probably the two most important things to talk about. How are we going to live now, and how are we going to live in eternity if in fact there is one? Now, this new book, David, is extremely well-researched and written. I've been reading it for the past two and a half days. And it's got such a provocative title. It's called Guilty by Reason of Insanity, Why the Democrats Must Not Win. Now, my point here is everyone should read this book, including Democrats, because Democrats, it will wake you up to what's happening in your party. Now, David, you, um, you, you decided to write a book on politics after four bestsellers on Christianity and apologetics and theology. Why did you ship now back to politics? Why did you do that? Um, well... As you know, I'm passionate about both uh, issues, both subjects. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, after this last book, I, a Christian-themed book, I wanted to do one more and finish the New Testament uh, in my treatment. And my publisher asked me to go to politics because this is an election year and things are very important. Mm-hmm. Now, I do believe this is the most important election ever. And I, I don't think it's cliche to say that because I think every last election has been more important than the previous one. But this one is urgent. And and I agree that the things that matter most involve our eternity. But I also agree with a part of your intro that said what we do here matters. God didn't just put us here uh, for nothing. He, he could have zapped us immediately to heaven uh, if, 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 if he wanted to. There's a purpose for us being on earth, and I think we are uh, stewards uh, mm-hmm. of, of things. And, and, and we have a duty, I think, in this nation uh, created and established on godly principles and religious liberty and liberty itself <clears throat> to try to preserve uh, the heritage America has founded. And I think what the Democratic Party is doing across the board, it has become extreme. It's a wholly owned subsidiary of, of the far left. And I think it is it resents America as founded. It, it disagrees even with the idea of nation states. And it is trying to complete the fundamental transformation of America uh, uh, that President Obama started. And it's reached levels of acceleration that you could call warp speed. I mean, this is what they're doing now is frightening. And we can go into the various issues. I don't want to jump the gun, but. I can give you example after example of the horrifying things they're doing. I think most of your audience would realize it anyway. I think if we don't win this election, if the Democrats in 2020 recapture the major political branches, that is the legislative and executive branches, uh, there is no telling what type of America 
our kids will end up living in. Now, you folks out there who are Democrats, I want you to listen to what Dr. David Limbaugh here is saying. He's a doctor of jurisprudence, by the way. Uh, the book is called Guilty by Reason of Insanity. And here are the issues that are in the book. I'm just going to list them now. And then after the first break, we're going to get into some of the details. David is covering the country's founding, including the claim that the U.S. was built on slavery. You hear that quite a bit. He covers the gospel. It's in the first chapter. He deals with victimhood, identity politics, class warfare, and intersectionality. You're probably wondering what that's about. We'll get into it, hopefully. He deals with the difference between colorblindness and racism. He deals with gender issues including transgenderism, men using women's bathrooms, and the so-called toxic masculinity that, that comes from the left quite a bit. He deals with the difference between capitalism and socialism, why the Bible affirms private property rights and does not prescribe socialism. He deals with tax policy, freedom of religion, and freedom of speech. He deals with intolerance and hate mostly coming from the left. He deals with freedom of religion and so-called gay rights. He deals with shouting your abortion and attacking Christians, marriage, the Green New Deal, open borders, ICE, and immigration policy. What did I leave out, David? I mean... <laughs> I'll, tell you what I, I'll tell you what I, di- I didn't cover too much is, is the Second Amendment because there's been so much on guns. I covered it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so you see how intellectually honest I am. And I didn't, and I didn't <laughs> go into great detail, detail on the Russia... Uh, hoax because that we've been inundated with awesome books on that covered of course tangentially and in context with the other subjects but i wanted to cover the rest of these social and political issues that that i think needed comprehensive treatment not just the anecdotes and examples but the philosophical underpinnings of all these issues abortion uh socialism capitalism open borders uh and the rest of it and constitutionalism Well, all that is in this new book. It's called Guilty by Reason of Insanity. The author is David Limbaugh, and he's my guest for the entire hour. So we're going to come back and look into some of those details uh, from the book right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. We're back in two minutes, so don't touch that dial and go anywhere. See you. on NPR. My guest today is David Limbaugh, his new book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity. It is the best book I've read in recent times that gives you a layout of what's going on politically, particularly when it comes to some of the things that the Democrat Party right now is supporting, which if, if, you, if you told me five, ten years ago they'd be supporting this, I'd go, you're nuts. But apparently they... They've gone nuts, in my view, anyway, and in David's view as well. Why are they? Uh, uh, why are they supporting some of these things? I mean, they're supporting infanticide even after birth. They're supporting open borders. They're supporting all sorts of different things that we would say this does not appear to be a sane policy for any country, much less the United States of America. And David Limbaugh has documented it all. Now, David, I want to start. Uh, right in the beginning, because you point out throughout this book that the left uses oppression to supposedly get rid of oppression. 
Now, can you give us some examples of what you mean by that? It's everywhere, but I think that's true. They're using oppression to get rid of what they mean by oppression. Yeah, well, I think this is a common thread that the, the left, for example, they say they project, they say we're intolerant. And I, I had a, in my 2003 or 2004 book on persecution, how the liberals were, had declared war on Christianity. One professor, um, I mean, one school administration suspended a Christian professor because she had allowed her students, recommended but not required, her students to read an article on homosexuality. And the article, I think, was out of focus on the family or something, something conservative and Christian. And one student complained, and the administrator ultimately said in suspending her, we can't tolerate the intolerable. And that's what they're doing now. They're, they're, they're suppressing speech on campus. Uh, in the name of freedom, they're suppressing our free speech. And we also see it throughout the, the intersectionality thing with the identity politics thing uh, area. They are oppressing people in the name of protecting their rights. And it's, it's really unbelievable. You know, you mentioned something a minute ago that why why this is happening, why the, the, the liberals are now coming out of the woodwork and coming out of the closet. I think, I think a perfect example of that is the same-sex marriage. President Obama pretended to be ambivalent about same-sex marriage for his entire term until he decided to be honest. We know from the record that before he was president, he had already said he was for same-sex marriage. But during his term, I hope I'm not offending anybody, People always talk about Trump being a liar. Obama lied, and he said he was ambivalent. And so then when he figured the, the political time was right, he opportunistically said he's for same-sex marriage. And do you see what happened overnight? People who had heretofore been opposed to it, even in liberal states where they had referenda on it, and people overwhelmingly rejected same-sex marriage. But then all of a sudden, they're scared to death to go against Obama. That might be racism. It might be sexism, genderism. And so they automatically now, everybody in the country is all of a sudden for same-sex marriage. And I think that was a seminal, pivotal event in terms of how the leftism can overnight, there can be a juggernaut that leads to things. And I think the left has become emboldened with that type of thing. They have, on their abortion, they're actually losing on, in, in the court of public opinion on abortion. And yet they're, they're so proud that they're now shouting their abortions and glorifying it and, and advocating it up to the point of birth and beyond, as you said, and, and declaring their moral right to get an abortion. Shout your abortion and, and lighting up towers. So I, I think that when I say insanity in the title, that's actually a euphemism for evil. Now, I don't mean that they are evil. The people doing this are evil. I think their ideas are evil. I think this is a matter of spiritual warfare. Because hmm. how can you, how can you as a sane, stable, morally grounded human being say that it is okay to kill babies in the womb to the point of birth and beyond and, and say that, that it is actually a moral good, which is some of them do, and be proud of it, and that not be a level of evil that we can't even contemplate. It's a level of evil that the Canaanites had achieved when God ordered the Israelites hmm. to exterminate them in their entirety. 
because yeah. they were that corrupt through and through with their child sacrifice, etc. The only one that anticipated this was the Apostle Paul, who in the end of Romans 1 said that if you suppress the truth long enough and not give thanks to God and continue to go down a path into depravity, you're not only going to have a depraved mind, but you're going to cheer other people on who are doing the same evil you're doing. And that's what we see in society today. People are cheering things on. When Governor Cuomo up there in New York actually passed that bill where they could kill children all the way up to the moment of birth, and they lit the Freedom Tower up or the Empire State Building, whatever it was, in all sorts of different colors to celebrate it, I'm going... Whatever happened to safe, legal, and rare that the Democratic Party used to be for with regard to abortion? Now they're promoting this and celebrating it. David, what's going on? And, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because since I have put the book to bed, since I've written it, since it's been out for publication, I'm always reading, you know, you know, go through the daily Bible reading and try to read it at least one time in a year, maybe the New Testament twice, and I don't always do it. But I've been doing pretty good this year. And I just came across because I'm getting toward the end, just came across in Romans that very thing. And I want to point out something. The passage you just meant, it's, it's a separate evil. It's, it's not part of the same sin to uh, encourage other people to sin. It is a separate, particularly mm. egregious sin. And then that's why you, talk about, you put, if you do something to one of these, you know, the children, Sure. And, and, but the but the principle applies throughout. If you if you coax anyone, if you seduce anyone to sin, it is a particularly bad thing because you're not just messing with your own soul; you're messing with their soul. And, and it's almost like proselytizing in reverse. It's like it's evangelizing for to make hell bigger. That mm-hmm. is a particularly mm-hmm. egregious sin. Yeah, you are correct. Now you can and see. There, for... Go ahead, David. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say one other thing, augmenting what you said. This is a matter of our souls being darkened. This isn't a matter of reason. You can't approach people uh, in a ra- on, on, on the basis of logic. I mean, you can, but we have to understand that we're dealing with obstacles that transcend our mental faculties. Th- this is a spiritual thing. And I don't know, I'm not an expert in spiritual warfare, but this does involve spiritual warfare. That is not to say we shouldn't employ our skills of logic, especially the people who haven't been roped in yet. You have to use logic. But we have to recognize that it's not just a matter of reason. There is some dark heartedness uh, that is hovering over all of this. And part of the problem is Christians have not been vocal enough nor loving enough in the sense that we haven't won people into the kingdom. We haven't given people good arguments. And that's why our country's going godless, because the church hasn't been the church. It hasn't been salt and light. So part of the problem is, is us. We're the problem. We have not been engaged enough. Now, David, you uh, the book is so well-researched, and as I mentioned in the intro, I can't remember what happened last week, much, much less last year, but you've done this. You've put all of these instances of the left going completely into the realm of, of, of actually promoting evil that it reminds us that this is, this is a serious matter, and if this isn't stopped, our country is going to go down a very, very dark road. You, 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 you point out, you have an entire chapter here on racism, and uh, you, you point out that the left has abandoned Dr. Martin Luther King's call for a colorblind society. Why have they done that? How have they done that? Okay, you know, I, here's the deal. R- Martin Luther King said that we should judge people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Now, um, the modern left takes the position 
that you must be color conscious, not color blind. And that, that, by the way, that transcends just race. That's in gender. That's in class. You must look at people's external qualities, not a person's heart, not their conduct. Racism is systemic. That's what critical race theory, another cockeyed uh, theory of the left. Racism is systemic. So you can't over you can't as an individual white person not be a racist because it's bigger than you are. It has nothing to do with your conduct. It has to do with your station in life. That is so destructive and warped. The thought of that, because we're all individuals made in God's image and all of us are equal, no matter what our race, no matter what our sex, no matter what our disabilities. Uh, we're, we're entitled to equal dignity and equal freedom, equal rights. And, but so the left now, in my view, has no substantive policy agenda that works. They're bitter because they uh, had civil rights before and they could claim to be the champions of the downtrodden and, and they could uh, advocate these social programs and welfare programs that would make voters dependent on them. But when, when things have improved to the point where we can elect a black person as president of the United States, uh, it's obvious that objectively racism has decreased in the United States. Of course, it, it increased during Obama and now has decreased again during Trump. You'd never know that in the news, but that's what the, the facts show. But they are bitter. They have nowhere to go substantively. They cannot win promoting the, the crazy ideas they promote. So what they do is use identity politics to demonize conservatives and Republicans and whites and men and whatever. Uh, and so they say socialism. See, they don't even have to prove that socialism is a superior system morally or intellectually. They just demonize capitalism and capitalists as evil as greedy, as uncompassionate. And I've been hearing about the lack of compassion among re Republicans since I was in college. That's always their seductive approach. They, they always want to be judged by their professed good intentions as opposed to the, their results. And we always say capitalism is by far superior, both in theory and in practice. It produces prosperity. It expands the economic pie. The invisible hand of the market allows incentives, allows a buyer and seller to enter into a transaction where both are benefited and central planners can't possibly possess that kind of knowledge of what would benefit individual buyers and sellers and, and extrapolate that throughout the economy. They discount the profit motive saying it's evil. They don't understand that the profit motive and incentive, people respond to that and therefore produce goods more cheaply. And greed has nothing to do with it. People don't buy and sell according to greed. You can't just arbitrarily set a price as a seller and get whatever you want for it unless you have a monopoly. You're only going to get that price if the buyer is willing to pay for it because he believes it's a beneficial transaction. Greed is irrelevant. Price is the issue and how much he wants it. In fact, we're going to have a lot more on that because the two chapters on socialism in David's new book, again, the book is called Guilty by Reason of Insanity by David Limbaugh. He's my guest today. These two chapters on socialism, everybody needs to read. Republican, Democrat, Independent, doesn't matter. You need to read them because it's truth. And you'll realize that why capitalism isn't perfect, it's the best system among, among live options. We're back in two minutes. Don't go away. Before I get back to my guest, David Limbaugh, I want to thank the folks up there at University of Maine. Just got back there a couple of days ago. Had a great session at the University of Maine. The Ratio Christie unit up there, Travis, Aaron, all the folks up there did a great job. 
And if you ever want to have a I don't have enough faith to be an atheist on a college campus, just contact us at crossexamine.org. We're happy to come to any college and present the evidence there. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And you can see them streaming live on our website and also on our Facebook and YouTube channels. In fact, those entire presentations, including the Q&A, are up there. So check them out there. All right, back to my friend uh, David Limbaugh, Guilty by Reason of Insanity, his new book. Just before the break, we were talking about racism and also capitalism. Uh, David, I heard Ben Shapiro not long ago talk about – he was at Stanford, I think, talking about – he was actually criticizing the alt-right, the white supremacists. And uh, he was talking about intersection and how there's this hierarchy that the left has created from the p- people who are, uh, according to them, the most privileged, the white Christian men, and the least privileged are the LGBTQ people, and they want to invert that hierarchy. The, the folks on the right, the alt-right, not, not, not the right that you and I are part of, but the alt-right, they say, well, that hierarchy is just fine with us, and everybody in the middle is going, what hierarchy? What are you talking about? Shouldn't we treat people like individuals? David, doesn't Christianity treat or tell us to treat people as individuals? Shouldn't we be people that way? Yes, and, and it's distressing. Intersectionality, as you mentioned, is, is the ideology from the left that says people can have multiple oppressions, race, gender, sexual orientation, class. And, and when you have multiple oppressions, they intersect. So you can't just look at a woman versus a man and see how women have been oppressed in in history or how blacks have been oppressed by whites because a white woman, for example, is the closest, according to this ideology, to white men in terms of there being the lesser gap in in oppression because they're Mm -hmm. also white. What you really have to look at, for example, is a black woman. She's got it both ways and she has multiple oppressions. Therefore, she's entitled to extra protection legally and socially. Now, and let's not even go to the black transvestite woman. Oh my gosh, mm. they're, enti- they're entitled to even more. The trans black, uh, the transvestite black woman who is disabled and old. My gosh, if you had reparations for that group, you, you wouldn't even, a billionaire couldn't satisfy it. I'm being a little mm. facetious to point out how ridiculous discussing these categories is. We God didn't make us as as groups and and not as robots. We're individuals made in his image, as I said. And you if you get people thinking about groups, then you necessarily alienate them and polarize them. And to close the circle from the previous question before we went to break, that's what the Democrats do now. The the left, they they get blacks, they get uh, Hispanics, they get women, they get uh, homosexuals transgenders to think of themselves as groups and they then polarize them from from conservatives who say and they say they hate you they want to discriminate against Mm, you mm, and mm. so they then say that they're entitled to special privileges uh in order to keep in order to to set the record straight and so we got people against each other pitted against each other men against women gay against straight and we can't have any harmony in society and this is what's so ironic about the left it claims it's for tolerance and harmony. They're they're for anything but. This is destructive, Frank. This policy of getting this this idea of getting us all at each other's throats. It mm-hmm. cannot possibly be healthy in God's eyes. In fact, you have uh, 
And again, the book is called Guilty by Reason of Insanity. On page 239, I'm looking at right now, David, I've been through almost this entire book. I've got so many places starred. I just, I wish I could spend hours on the phone, on the, on the phone here with you or on the radio program going through this, but people are just going to have to get the book. But you point out on page 239, echoing our friend, Dr. Michael Brown, that Alcoholics Anonymous does not hate alcoholics. It loves them. And my question for you is, how does this show that Christians who try and help people out of homosexuality or other sexual practices are trying to love people, not hate them? You know, that, that's really something that bothers me, what they do now. And this is how they su- suppress speech. It's very clever. It's almost demonic, where they say that a Christian who takes a position uh, based on Scripture is guilty of hate speech. Uh, mm. if, if, the, if the Bible says that same-sex marriage, I mean, that, that heterosexual marriage is God's ordained uh, uh, order for the universe. Marriage is between man and woman. Jesus affirmed it. If you say that, if you mouth that in public, then you're guilty of hate speech. And, but, if you, but you're not hating a someone when you say that. You're, you're not, uh, you are suggesting that God loves everyone. And if you want to talk them into your ideas, how does that, how is that hateful when you're trying to convince them of something that would ultimately be in their best interest? You're not even depriving them of any rights. We're not even talking about that. You're not demonizing people. You're just trying to tell them what you believe is morally healthy for them. You also write on the bottom of this page, which is such a brilliant insight, you write, the contradiction in such thinking is worth repeating, the contradiction that says that you hate somebody because you disagree with their behavior. The the LGBTQ community insists on gender fluidity almost as an article of faith, yet they forbid expression of the opinion that fluidity can operate from gay to straight. Yeah. And yeah. you say, you say, Dr. Brown also observes that Vimeo, which is full of videos of terrorists and pornographers, two groups not blacklisted by the high priest of political correctness. He's talking about the fact that Vimeo has stopped some of Dr. Brown's own videos because they were trying to show that there's a way out of homosexual practice. But they don't stop videos from pornographers ter- and terrorists. I, no. I mean, th- go ahead, David. It's, the, 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 the double standard is crazy here. Yeah, not only that, but I want to hone in on something you just said. Home in on mm-hmm. something you just said. That uh, quoting my book there. That this is how the left ends up eating itself because ultimately they they have no moral anchor, they have no intellectual anchor. It's just anarchy of ideas, anarchy of morals, and so uh, relative relativism. So when when the forever the the homosexual movement has said, I was born that way. I was born gay. Mm. Now transgenders say. Not only were you not born that way, they're offended if if you if a parent has a gender reveal party, meaning uh, they're they're pregnant, they realize from an ultrasound they're going to have a boy. They send out announcements, "Hey, let's celebrate our new baby boy." The the some writers, the leftist writers, object to this, saying, "How dare you presume to identify a male, a biological male, as a male when he hasn't even had a chance to decide whether he wants to be male or female." He it's gender is fluid. It's a social construct. It's a matter of what that individual chooses. And he can choose up to 70 genders. He can choose to be a, identified as a plural pronoun. They and you are required at the at the risk of being subjected to criminal fine and imprisonment. If you misgender these people, they, they created new terms. Cisgender, by the way, is one that is not abnormal when it comes to this. 
So, so Frank, here's the deal. It's beyond postmodern linguistic insanity. We are saying that sex uh, is not determined, that gender is not determined on the basis of your biology, and it's based on how you identify arbitrarily. Now, let me ask you, if you are a boy and you, and you say you're a girl and you even have a bunch of operations, is your DNA encoding going to change one bit? The answer is not no. at all. You're still no, a girl. You You're still a girl. Mm -hmm. And yet these people are now foisting biological men into the workspaces, into the locker rooms, into the sporting events of biological women where they're destroying the competition unfairly. But if you dare, if you're like Martina Navratilova and you dare object to that, and she's a lesbian, by the way, if, if she if when she objected to that, they vilified her. They savaged her for just stating her opinion that it's unfair to let men who are biologically stronger and faster compete with women in these athletic events, and they're doing it and they're destroying them. So ultimately now the transgenders are swallowing up all the oxygen in the room for the feminists. By the way, you can't, let me give you another example. Deborah Messing comes out and, and, and champions her vagina wearing these so-called you know what hats. And women are great because they have vaginas. And then she got savage because no, they're, People have vaginas who are not women. I mean, excuse me, they're not all women have vaginas. In other words, a man, a man, a biological male uh, is a woman, but he doesn't have a vagina. So she goes, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Oh, she, if she's sorry, are you serious? That, notice all these forced apologies where people just grovel and act like, I got one other one. Another stream. Never mind. I won't do it. But I got a stream of consciousness. Going you, they're all, all in. Quick. They're all in the book. Guilty yeah, yeah. by reason of insanity. And David, this is true. These. This is insanity to say that a biological boy is not really a boy. I'm sorry if if someone's offended by that. You're just offended by the truth. I can't help that. Uh, I think it was ben, ben Shapiro who said, uh, "Facts don't uh, don't care about your feelings." Okay. Yeah. These are just facts. And, uh, and there are so many facts in this new book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity, that everybody needs to get it. I don't care what your political perspective is. You need to know what some people in our political world are, are actually advocating. And unfortunately, it's mostly the Democrats who are advocating these things. In fact, on page 145, David, and I can't even believe that this is in your book, but it is because it's true. You're saying that California Democrats in California have introduced a bill to protect pedophiles. Yeah. I mean, what? I, I, it's, what? I, I don't, who would ever even want to pass an initiative like that? Who would even think about it? Somebody is, is, is within 10 years of their age and, and you can now uh, legislatively protect them from uh, being exposed. I, I, I just, as, as a pedophile, I, I just it's it's like it like like in the old days when Rush wrote his early books, AIDS was the first disease to have uh, civil rights. You couldn't tell uh, you couldn't disclose that a person had uh, AIDS or HIV, even though it, it, interaction with that person might kill them because they wanted to protect the privacy. Now, now see, because that that's where liberals are. They always carry things. And so we 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 can't we have to abort. We can't allow, uh, we can't protect the baby because to do that, even if the baby's almost and actually already born, you are somehow diminishing the woman's rights. I mean, they twist everything. The mother's health, the mother, I, I just, they expand the idea of mother's health so much 
that it encompasses everything. It's the exception that swallows the rule. There is nothing rational about these people. It's all emotion. It's all spiritually devoid. And, and it is horrifying because I don't even know how you approach people that are this far gone. Uh, well, actually, you really don't need to. If the church would be the church and get involved, because the people that are that are putting forth this kind of insanity, literally protecting pedophiles who commit crimes within 10 years of the of their own age. So, for example, as I understand this, if somebody is 24 years old and they have sex with a with a 15 year old. Or let's say a 21 with an 11 or or a 12-year-old, this bill in California is going to protect them from prosecution. Do you see what's going on here, friends? If the church would just be the church, then these problems would be solved. But the church needs to be the church. So you need to get informed first. Get this book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity, by David Limbaugh, my guest today. We have one more segment. Don't go away. We'll talk more about it right after the break. I'm Frank Turk. I'll be in McAllister, Oklahoma, ladies and gentlemen, this Sunday, First Baptist Church there, and then we're doing a community event that afternoon. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. McAllister, Oklahoma. Check the website, crossexamine.org, for details. So I hope to see you if you're anywhere in Oklahoma, McAllister, Oklahoma. All the details are on the website Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. Back to my guest, uh, David Limbaugh. The book is called Guilty by Reason of Insanity. It documents what's been going on, ladies and gentlemen, in our culture for the past three or four years and uh, what's what, what, what Christians need to know about it and what Christians need to do about it. Now, David, I know a lot of people, we talked a little bit about socialism before, but I want to come back to it for a second because there are some Christians that are confused about this. They look at the church in the early chapters of Acts and they all got together. They kind of lived in a commune, that kind of thing. Why is that not prescriptive for Christians today? Um, and interesting you use that term. In fact, uh, I think I quote, your mentor and my friend Norman Geisler, who said mm-hmm. that the uh, this telling of this story in Acts about the early church and the selling the property and giving it to the poor was descriptive and not prescriptive. And it, it was mainly a, a story of how moved these people were in the spirit in the early church uh, to voluntarily give up their property uh, and sell their property and give the proceeds to the poor. And but there was there's no uh, biblical a prescription to do that anywhere else. It doesn't occur elsewhere in, in Scripture. Uh, but and, and the critical thing is there's no government compulsion. It is, and I, as I said, it's voluntary. And so it's not socialism at all. In fact, there's so many other places in Scripture which talk about if you don't work, you don't eat and that type of thing. Um, so it's never been prescribed for Christians. And when uh, they, Ananias and Sapphira were, were punished, for failing to deliver all the proceeds to the church and uh, killed, it wasn't because uh, they kept some of the proceeds. It's because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They had hmm. the prerogative to keep their property. It was their property. They could do with it what they wanted. It was only when they tried to deceive the Holy Spirit uh, that they were punished. So it, this is a thing we have. This is a big uh, – it's not just this axe thing, but it, it goes to the root of this. What I said earlier, how – uh, liberals have always seductively alleged that socialism is compassionate and that Republicans and conservatives have no compassion, even though we advocate capitalism, which lifts people up, which lifted people up out of 
global poverty some 200 years ago, and, and the world saw a level of, of prosperity that it never seen before, and, and, it, and it radiated throughout the globe, uh, obviously with exceptions. But it, it's, it's socialism is not compassionate, is not compassionate for me to say to other people, I'm going to use the coercive power of government to take your earnings and distribute it to other people. It is contrary to the biblical uh, idea of private property, which is implicitly validated in the eighth and 10th commandments against covetousness and uh, against stealing. So private property is validated and endorsed implicitly in the Bible. Socialism negates the idea of private property, negates the idea of liberty, and Christianity is about liberty. People, human nature is such that we respond to incentives mm. and price and that type of thing. Socialism destroys all that. It demonizes profit as evil. And yet profit, the profit motive is one of the main things that causes capitalism to flourish and the economy to flourish under capitalism and to expand and yield uh, unprecedented prosperity. But because on the surface, superficially, it looks greedy because when you add anything you add to the price of a product beyond the cost of producing it, they say, Marxists say, and many socialists say, is surplus value. It's a labor theory of value. And it's a lie because you can, and, and they're, by the way, the liberals, the, the left are prom promoting this very thing in their Medicare for all program they're saying they want to, if you read the documents, they want to eliminate proper profit from healthcare. Well, by mm -hmm. doing that, that makes them sound good to the, to the uh, information challenge people. But in fact, it, it would destroy healthcare. It's already going a long way to doing it now as we've had incremental socialism. Uh, and, and it will cause lesser quality, lesser, uh, and higher prices and less choice in healthcare because you're saying profit is just something that's arbitrarily tacked on? No, it's the incentive to let somebody produce at a lesser cost, not at a higher price. It's, it's really amazing, the deception, and this is all part of the big lie. I swear it's all spiritual uh, because, fact, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, in fact, you say in, in one of the two chapters on socialism, uh, and I'm looking on page 177 right now. We're talking to David Limbaugh. His brilliant book is Guilty by Reason of Insanity. It's a disturbing book, uh, it, but it's true. You need to read it. You say this, socialists are more materialistic than capitalists. What do you mean by that? I've always thought that because they're obsessed uh, with material things. They're, they always want to put to divide us on the basis of class, inspire covetousness, it doesn't. Do you realize my pastor sometimes says that everybody in the United States, almost without exception, is rich compared to the people who yes. lived in biblical times. Mm -hmm. So if you put it into context, we're all rich. Look at look, everybody, not everybody. And I don't mean to sound callous because I happen to be very blessed and I don't mean to be uh, uh, heartless about or, or, or arrogant. But I'm just trying to be objective here that people have cell phones, they have TVs, they have cars, they have they have shelter. And, and compared to the old, the 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 historical times, there they have abundance, and and I just, but yet what what the socialist wants us to do, is look at what the other guy has instead of being happy with what you have. If we're talking mm. in materialistic terms, you know you have to be hateful and mad and ha filled with angst and acrimony about what the other guy has. That can't possibly, that can't possibly be what God intends for our mindset.
No, not at all. And in fact, the reason people have so much here abundance is because of the capitalist system that creates wealth and creates opportunity and gives people a chance to create wealth. Without that, uh, we'd we'd be back three four hundred years ago when everybody lived as peasants under under some king somewhere. So, capitalism, while it's not the best system, is the or is not, is not a perfect system, is the best system among the live options. Socialism yeah. doesn't work because it misunderstands human nature, as you point out in these two chapters here on socialism. Again, the book is called Guilty by Reason of Insanity. And uh, you also, uh, you quote Jack Kemp here. I love this quote, David, where Jack Kemp said, our definition of compassion is not how many people live on the government welfare plantation, but how many of our people are liberated from government dependence. How does socialism make people dependent on the government? Well, because the government... uh doesn't produce wealth. It can't produce wealth. Only entrepreneurs and free people in a free market can produce wealth and expand the economic pie. Socialism says that the pie is finite. So of course they want to redistribute everything. That you, they, they want to be in control of who does it. And they set prices. They set. Uh, they make all economic decisions. And, and political and economic liberty are, are so interconnected that mm. when you have the government controlling economic decisions, they are necessarily, they can only do that through the political system. So they're constricting uh, your political liberty too. Here's a point I go into in the philosophical nature of this. Capitalism has been panned because, and and partly I blame this on Ayn Rand and and other super libertarians who take this quote of Adam Smith out of context and talk about how capitalism is about self-interest and somehow that's, and and that they take that to mean they infer that that means that they're selfish and they don't care. Mm. But in truth, it's capitalism is neutral. It doesn't purport to be a religious system, but it is more moral because it ultimately lets people be free and prosper under a free system. And the results of it, therefore, uh, produce uh, the results of it are greater prosperity, which means that actually capitalism is more moral because it's, it produces the, the greatest good for the greatest number of people. Socialism, by, by touting itself as compassionate and, and caring, uh, does not make it so when it has produced poverty, enslaved and impoverished people throughout history. Uh, socialist and Marxist regimes killed 100 million people in the 20th century alone, and they want to talk to us about compassion. The United mm. States is the most benevolent, most prosperous, freest and strongest nation in the history of the world. And a great part of that is the capitalistic system that the framers made possible through our founding documents. And the quote on chapter eight of the book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity, by my guest David Limbaugh is this, Marxism has failed to promote freedom and to produce food. So it not only hasn't produced freedom, it hasn't produced food. Okay, They don't care about freedom. The left doesn't care about freedom. uh, Have you ever noticed that that's something lost on our society? mm, They want to force equality of outcomes. They don't care about equality of opportunity. They want to zap us of our God-given liberties. That's our point, right? That's the point right there. They, they want they want the outcome to be equal, not the opportunity to be equal, and that's impossible in this world to have the outcome yep. equal. In fact, the outcome isn't even going to be equal in heaven. I mean, people no. are going to have different rewards based on what they did here. Now, it'll all be just, and nobody's going to be upset. Nobody's going to be envious because we have a we have a sin nature now. But in heaven, you're not going to have equality either. 
That's so, right. Yeah. It's well, anyway, David, there's so much in this book. I wish we had more time. We're running out of time here. But this book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity by David Limbaugh, is a book you need to get. I don't care what your political persuasion is. I don't care if Republican, Democrat, Independent. This book is going to educate you on so many things going on in our country right now that when you go into the ballot box next year, you're going to be well informed. So, David, thanks so much for writing this. Thanks for having me on. And uh, by the way, your point about the church, it's not just the church isn't doing what it should. It is being taken over from the inside. It is it is groveling to the culture. And mm. I don't know if you see that in churches you go oh. to, but I am very nervous about what's going on. We are. And the people listening to this broadcast right now can make a difference by actually following Jesus rather than following the culture. In fact, we're about to, we're doing a TV sh- uh, series right now on Jesus versus the culture. It'll air next year, but we're working on it right now. So look out for that. And uh, friends, check out this book, Guilty by Reason of Insanity by David Limbaugh. He's been, he's been my guest today. And he's written several other great books as well. A lot of them on Christianity that I mentioned earlier. So just click on David Limbaugh. You'll find all of his works there. Well worth looking at. You can go to davidlimbaugh.com too if you want more. So, all right, friends, I'm Frank Turk. Don't forget, I'm in McAllister, Oklahoma this Sunday. Hope to see you there. God bless. See you next week right here. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.